Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast, a place where we believe you can be equipped to conquer any obstacle in life through the power of God's Word. We have a mission and believe that whatever problem you might be facing, God has a word that can lift you out of your trouble. Now, here's your host, Preston Shuttlesworth. What's up and welcome back to the podcast. Glad you've stuck it out with me, even after my uh, brief hiatus. And uh, before we get into today's episode, I just want to apologize that these episodes haven't been more consistent. Um, I've been traveling a little bit. I uh, wasn't home the past two weekends, and usually during the weekend is when I record these, as these uh, come out on uh, Friday mornings, usually. Um, but I didn't have time to record last week, and so I apologize that I haven't been uh, uploading these more consistently. I guess I should just, if I don't have time on the weekends, I should record these earlier in the week and then just release them on Friday. But I usually record these the day before uh, they come out, and so... Uh, glad you're back with me, though. Glad you haven't given up on me. And um, today is going to be a great episode because I want to talk to you, and it's probably not going to be a long episode, but I want to talk to you about miracles because this is the thing that, especially this year and even more so in these last few months, God has been dealing with me about is miracles and the importance behind miracles and why God works through the vein of miracles to display his power and give glory to himself. Because many times people, especially, you know, my generation and younger, and I know that's primarily my audience that listens to me, but maybe you haven't seen a genuine miracle. You know, maybe you've heard things like, you know, a miracle is the smile of a newborn baby's face or the sun sets in September, man, those are miracles. Or a miracle is just when you wake up in the morning and you still have breath in your lungs and you can still go through another day and you still have life, you know, and those things are great. You know, I'm not saying those things are wrong, but they are not miracles. Miracles are undeniable proof of God's intervention in humanity and nature. Something that Unless a divine force, which is God, intervened in the situation, then there would have been a completely different alternative. A miracle is something that's undeniable proof that there is a God. And I've been lucky enough to be around great, great preachers and men and women of God that walked in miracle power. And I can tell you, I've I've really thought about it. And I can tell you that is what really made the difference in me as a, you know, growing up that I think many other pastors kids didn't have because it's one thing to go to church and read your Bible and to do the Christian thing where it's just kind of tradition for you and something you do and it's a, a routine. But when you really firsthand experience God working in a situation and you know it's God You know that it wasn't some chance or some lucky thing that happened, but really God cared enough about you or or the situation to do something that was only Him and can only be Him. It does something in your spirit, and it does something for you that marks you for the rest of your life. And I've been lucky enough to experience those things firsthand. You know, I've seen 
you know, blind people that, you know, they blind people, sometimes they have that kind of film or graininess on their eyes where it's kind of like fog or, you know what I mean? It has like that weird, not weird, but it has that uh, film over their eyes where it's cloudy. And then seeing that person be prayed for and that cloudiness go away and then the color of their eyes come back and their pupils restored. You know, I've seen that. And, you know, for instance, one time I saw my father pray for this man in our church where he had one leg that was longer than the other leg. And you could clearly see it. He showed us, you know, and as he began to pray for the man, you could see those legs come back into the same length as he prayed. Like physically with your eyes, you could see the legs move and line up till the man received his miracle. And, and you know, that's a different level than someone, you know, that comes to the altar and gets prayed for and they cry and they shake their head and, and they spin around and, you know, they get touched by God and it's wonderful. But in your mind, you know, at least for me, maybe I was a critical kid watching, but I was thinking, well, anyone can do that. I mean, that's not like a miracle. And they say, well, I got my miracle. Well, where is the miracle? You know, maybe it was an internal miracle or something in their mind, but it's not like a doctor can verify that that person received a miracle, you know, in that moment. But when a doctor tells a patient that they have stage four cancer and they have three weeks to live and they need to, you know, write their wills and say goodbye to their family, and then that person comes back in three weeks cancer-free and says that they went to a tent meeting or a revival service or a church and a minister prayed for them and they received a healing that's verifiable by a machine that, you know, a CAT scan that detects whether that person has cancer or how the cancer is progressing. And the doctor can write a note or a letter and say verifiably this was a medical miracle, you know, to him because he's a doctor. Those things still happen. You know, those are things that are not uh, stories or fairy tales or, you know, th just things you can read about in the Bible. Those things still happen today. And so I'm not coming at this topic from the standpoint that, you know, 50 years ago when Kenneth Hagin was in his prime and Jack Coe and A.A. Allen and uh, ample, uh, Amy Simple McPherson and all these great men and women of God that lived and had great miracle ministries. You know, I'm not coming at, at this from the point of, well, we had miracles then, but this generation, you know, they'll never have miracles. No, I mean, I'm coming at this topic from the standpoint of it's time, especially for those of you that listen to me that want to be ministers one day or maybe are beginning ministries. It's time to value the miraculous power of God because without miracles, there is no gospel. I'll say that again because maybe that, you know, made you think, but without miracles, there is no gospel. You know, if Jesus, if they found Jesus's body in his tomb and they could verify that it was him and that he didn't rise from the dead and the disciples stole his body and lied that he rose from the grave, there is no gospel. There is no Christianity. There won't be churches. There wouldn't be churches today if that was true. The reason Christianity blew up and it was like a wildfire that spread throughout the Roman Empire and through the rest of the world was because that tomb was empty, that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You know, the thing that separates Christianity from any other religion or any other philosophy or anything else 
is that we can prove what we believe. I don't have to convince you with my intelligence or my wisdom or how much I've studied at a university that Jesus is alive. I can show you documented historical fact that the tomb, you know, there's three different tombs that they believe that Jesus could have been buried in. All three are empty. All three have no bones. All three have no uh, sign that there was ever a person in them. So we can prove what we believe. Christians and the gospel is verifiable and provable. And how we prove that is through miracles. And I want to begin, well, I guess we're already like nine minutes in, but I want to read to you a scripture that really is going to set off and begin this topic about why miracles matter. And we're going to find that in the second chapter of John in the 23rd verse, because I want to show you why God works through the medium of miracles and why it's important for me and you and every person, you know, people that are also older, listen to these podcasts. And if you are a believer, miracles should follow your life because the Bible says these signs shall follow them that believe. Not just pastors or evangelists or prophets or apostles, but just the believer. There should be signs that follow you. And the signs that should follow you are that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame get their ability to walk back, you know, even raising the dead. Things that shouldn't be these like mystical, far out, impossible things. They should be things that you experience on a daily basis. And I want to show you in John chapter 2 and verse 23 from the ministry of Jesus, who is our ultimate example of ministry, something the Bible says that's very interesting. John 2.23, the Bible says, Now when he, meaning Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. I'll read it again. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, Many believed, keyword, in his name when they saw the signs or the miracles that he was doing. So we can see just in that one verse that one of the reasons God used miracles was to have people believe in his name. One of the reasons Jesus operated in a miracle ministry was that, you know, other translations would say great crowds followed him when they saw the miracles or the signs that he did. And so one thing we can see from the Bible, and this isn't going to be a long episode today because it's very, really just a simple thought. But one of the reasons God uses miracles is that it draws people in. That's why some of the greatest evangelists that ever lived were also people that had some of the greatest healing ministries ever. You know, you can think of T.L. Osborne, who wrote an entire book Really, it's a collection of all of his best sermons into one book called Healing the Sick. And he would talk about how through the working of miracles, he would have many, many great multitudes of people come to the knowledge of Jesus being the Son of God and accepting that him and receiving salvation. That he, through miracles, great crowds came to see T.L. Osborne. And you might say, well, that's wrong. No. Because he's just doing what Jesus did also. You might say, well, people that need miracles are just unbelievers. Yeah. Yes, they are. That's why we're called to preach to unbelievers. A miracle can make an unbeliever a believer. 
You know, you think of Thomas, who was a disciple that walked and talked with Jesus and spent every day with, with Jesus and saw him do miracles, saw him do insane things. But when Jesus died on the cross, again, there's a jet. You know, it seems like Virginia Beach, you know, just chooses, you know, Thursday when I record these podcasts to have their uh, entire Air Force or whatever their their planes fly over uh, my house. Anyways, but think of Thomas. Thomas, though he spent many, you know, years, you know, not many years, a few years with Jesus in his ministry, walked and talked with him, dined with him, saw him do these miracles. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he was the disciple that didn't believe that Jesus had rose from the grave. And he said this, he said, until I place my fingers in his side and in the palm of his hands, I won't believe. And so Jesus, while they're eating, walks through the wall and tells Thomas to put his hands in his side and in his palm of his hand. And then he believed. And so because of that really a miracle, Thomas went from an unbeliever to if you read, not in the Bible, but you can study what happened in Thomas's life. He became one of the greatest evangelists and apostles in Asia. He was one of the first people, maybe even the first, I could be wrong, but I believe he was the first person to take the gospel to Asia because when he saw that miracle, he believed. And when he believed, he launched into a powerful ministry. And so God uses miracles to make unbelievers believers. And that's one of the ways he uses them. But also, like I was saying, without miracles, Christianity is just another empty religion. It's just another philosophy that, you know, the Bible's a good book and, you know, it has good life principles and, you know, it has good stewardship principles, but it's not like the life and power of God. Well, miracles are what make the Bible the life and power of God. Because if God says he's a healer, if God says he can heal your body, if you believe him, but he can't actually do it, then God's a liar. But the Bible says in Numbers 23 that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. And so God is not a liar. And his word, Isaiah said, cannot return unto him void or empty. And so if God has said something in his word, and he said a lot of things, but if God says he can heal your body, if God says he can make blind eyes come open and deaf ears come open, and if he said he can raise the dead and heal the lame man and all these things, heal leprosy, all the things you see in the Bible, if God says he can do all those things, but you only ever read it in a book and you never actually believe it and you never actually see God do a miracle, then that's what we call hope deferred. And the Bible says hope deferred makes your heart sick because something my papa used to say, if you have a revelation without a demonstration, that's a frustration. If you have a revelation, if you have the knowledge and the revealing that God is a healer and a savior, and he can make the blind see and the deaf hear, but he never actually does it and manifests it, then it's a frustration. Because then your whole life, you're just going to think, well, why did God say he could do this, but he never actually does it? You know, forget God. I'm just going to do what I can in my own natural power because that's the only thing that seems to actually be real. And I would agree with you if that were true, but it's not true because I've seen firsthand 
the miraculous power of God, and it is real. It's not just something you can read about in the book of Acts, but you can't see in 2020. It's something that you can walk in on a daily basis. You know, you can go on YouTube and look up old A.A. Allen meetings and see miracles that he did and people testify one after another. You know, big piles of crutches and and gurneys and wheelchairs and all of the medical equipment people needed before they got prayed for piled high on a, a platform in a revival meeting. And all of it is from the people that got healed and didn't need their equipment anymore because they received a miracle. You know, you can see these things. You know, you don't have to feel like you believe something that's a fairy tale or something that parents uh, read to their children before they go to sleep to give them good morals and good principles. You know, the, the Bible is more than that. The Bible is the life and the power of God. And our God is not dead. Our God is not deaf that he can't hear your prayer or blind that he can't see your life and what you're going through. Our God is living and moving and breathing and miracle working. The tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead. And the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells inside of you and me. And so, why do miracles matter? Well, because, number one, the purpose of miracles is to bring great crowds or multitudes to the church to make them believers. Number two, miracles are what make Christianity not just some dead, empty religion. And I want to show you that further in Matthew chapter 23, because I want to read to you um, just one verse, and it's something Jesus said to the Pharisees, really in, in a rebuke, but it's really a picture of empty religion, because that's what the Pharisees operated in, whereas Jesus was obviously the Word made flesh that dwelt among us. He was the Son of God. He was God, and so we're going to find a verse in Matthew chapter 23, chapter 23, verse 27. And to me, this verse is almost like Jesus drawing a line in the sand between empty religion and the life and power of himself. In verse 27, listen to this. Jesus is speaking, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. Verse 28, we're going to read also. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so this is a rebuke from Jesus Christ to the Pharisees. And the example he gives is a powerful one. Because like I said, it's a perfect depiction of religion and its emptiness and its uh, non-fulfillness. I couldn't really think of a word. That's not a word, but you get what I'm saying. That the Pharisees operated in this empty, powerless tradition and religion and monotony that was nothing compared to what Jesus had. And the example and the illustration that Jesus gave was that ye are like whitewashed tombs that on the outside you appear beautiful. You appear as something that would have value or be uh, worth something. But on the inside, 
You're full of dead man's bones. You're hypocrites. You're full of lawlessness and unrighteousness. And that's the example Christ gave, really, not just to the Pharisees, but about empty religion as a whole. That religion, you know, this statement might make you think for a second, but I hate religion. I hate religion. Religion in the sense of, you know, just something that, you know, your parents did and your grandparents did. And, you know, it's just something that you do because it's a family tradition or it's cultural or, you know, it's just something that you always did, but it never actually did anything for you. It never actually helped you or you don't really have even a testimony to give about what God did in your own life. What good is that? Honestly, think about it. You know, you might say, well, you know, my grandmother was a good person and she, you know, and that's wonderful. You know, I'm not trying to be offensive today, but what good is a God that never does anything for you? What good is a God that tells you that he'll hear your prayer and answer your request and answer the desire of your heart? What good is a God that tells you that he'll heal your body and make your blind eyes come open and your deaf ears hear, but he never actually does it? What good is a God that lies to you over and over? What good is a God that gives you false hope and this false sense of reality, but never actually comes through on what he said? That's not God. You know, that breaks the heart of God. It breaks my heart that there are people that exist in the world that really have that perception of God without knowing it. That you just believe in something because someone told you to. That you just believe in something because you were born into a family that believed it. But he never actually did anything for you. He never actually answered a prayer request. He never actually gave you peace in your heart. He never actually gave you joy or made life worth living. What good is that? What good is a God that can't do what he says? You know, I I tell this story when I preach because it's something that really marked me and changed me forever. But when I was in ninth grade, I was a freshman in high school, and I remember I was sitting in my English class, and my teacher told me that the principal wanted to see me. And so I left my English class, and I went to the principal's office, and when I got there, the principal handed me uh, her cell phone, and on the other end was my mom, and my mom said that my sister, Brooke, who was in Bible school at the time, Brooke's older than me, she was in her first year of Bible school in Florida. She told me that Brooke was in the hospital and that she had lost her vision and that she had lost her motor functions and couldn't walk because she had a disease called MS or multiple sclerosis. And this disease affects the, uh, the brain and there's these things called lesions that attack the brain. And depending on where these lesions are, Obviously, we know that the brain, different parts of the brain control different parts of your body. And I guess these lesions had progressed to a point where they damaged her, uh, the place in her brain where you receive vision with your optical nerve. And it damaged the part, you know, closer to her neck and her brain stem that controlled her spinal cord and her motor functions. And she, so she couldn't walk. And I remember when I heard that from my mom. I remember thinking to myself, how could God allow that to happen? How could 
a girl, a young woman who loved God. You know, I, I know my sister Brooke. She loves God. She answered the call of God in her life by going to Florida and going to Bible school. And then God repays her by giving her this disease and allowing these things to happen. And now she's blind and can't walk. That's, that's who God is. And I remember saying to myself, if that's who God is, I don't want to serve him. If that's who God is, what's the point of this? If that's what God does, then what's the use of going to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time there was youth group? What's the point? Is it to make friends at church? Is it to feel like you've itched some soulish urge that you feel clean in your relig- some false religious state of mind? That's not the gospel. That's not God. And I thought to myself, well, if God allows these things to happen, I don't want to be a preacher anymore. But that's not the end of the story. I don't mean to depress you. We flew to Tampa, me and my family, the next day. And I remember my family went up to the hospital room and, and there was a, a McDonald's in this hospital for some reason. So I went to get food after we got to the, the hospital while everybody else in my family went up to the, um, the room where Brooke was. And so I was there later than everybody. And I remember walking into that hospital room and I saw Brooke. I saw my sister lying on a hospital bed, blind, unable to walk, surrounded by machines and hooked up to monitors. And I remember seeing that. But I also, more vividly, and I better remember my family, my mom, my dad, you know, everybody, surrounding Brooke, you know, with open Bibles and praying and reading the Bible, reading verses of healing. He sent his word and it healed them. I am the Lord God who heals all your diseases, who will take sickness from your camp. And reading those scriptures to Brooke and praying and not allowing their faith to waver and believing God for a miracle. And I can tell you as a testimony that Brooke was able to walk the aisle of her wedding, perfect vision. Because our God is and will always be a healer. Our God is a God of miracles. Our God can back up and do what he says he can do. He's not a God of false promises. He's not like the Pharisees or anybody else that thinks they're wise and thinks they know God, but really they are powerless and lifeless. He is not a whitewashed tomb full of dead man's bones. He is not some painting or some glass sculpture or some idol or some tree or some stone. He is God. He is the great I am. He was and is and forever shall be. He's what makes life full and joyous and worth living. His word is above everything else. He is who he says he is. He's exalted his word above his own name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Every good and perfect gift comes down from him, from whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, I'm not on here today because I like when people listen to me or I think that I'm so wise or that I think I'm better than anybody else. I'm here because this Bible is true. He is alive. The tomb was empty. Miracles happen. They still happen. And they're not sunsets. They're not things that happen every day that aren't really miracles. Miracles are miracles. Miracles are undeniable and verifiable proof that Jesus is alive. And that's what makes us different as Christians. That's what makes this thing worth talking about. Because if Jesus' body was found and the disciples were liars and this book is a sham, then why believe it? You know, if God wasn't a healer, I would rip my Bible in half and sell cars or find something else to do to spend my time and live my life and do whatever. Because who cares at that point? But if he is alive, and if he is coming back again, and if he is a healer, then wouldn't you do everything you could humanly possible to tell every single person you knew that he is alive and that he is coming again? And that there are two eternities you can spend your life, your life in. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is a line in the sand of righteousness and sin that there is something to live for, that there is something to look forward to, that this life is very short compared to the eternity that God has for you and me. Why would I care about anything else if it is true? Why would I allow my mind to be full of doubt and worry and think about a million other things other than who he is. Christ, who is my life. This is my life today. This is not something I'm doing because my father was a preacher, or my grandfather was a preacher, or my uncles or my cousins are preachers. I'm here today because he is alive, and he lives in me, and he lives in you. And this year has shown me, and God has shown me this, that miracles are what's going to make the difference. Miracles are what separate empty religion from the life and power of God. I want you to walk in miracle power. I don't want you to be like the Pharisees or some other false religion. That they think they're so wise in their sayings. They have good quotes. Their Twitter is full of great one-liners that don't mean anything. But when it really comes down to it, what is life about? What are you living for? Who lives in you? If Jesus is alive, then tell everyone you know that he is alive. You know, something that struck me was there was this there is this atheist magician 
<laughs> not like a wizard, like he like operates in dark arts, but you know, sleight of hand kind of guy, you know, that lives in Las Vegas. His name's Penn Gillette. And he hates Christians. He hates God. He hates religion. And one thing he said that actually like resonated with me is he said, if Christians really believe what they believe, then why don't they tell everyone? You know, if you really have this viewpoint and standpoint and this worldview that Jesus is alive and that he's the only way to heaven and that he's the answer for the world, then why are you embarrassed to talk about him? You know, I'm paraphrasing now, but that's what Pendulette really said. That if Christians really believe what they believe, then why don't they tell every single person they can? Why don't they live every day like they're trying to pull people off train tracks from an incoming train that's going to destroy them and kill them? Why don't they do that? Why do Christians live this hypocritical lifestyle? That they believe one thing, but their actions say otherwise. And they don't really believe what the Bible says. Why is it that an atheist magician has more sense to know that than people that have gone to church their entire life? It's time to get back to miracles. It's time to understand the severity of what you believe. Because Jesus is coming back soon. And he's not going to be dilly-dallying and waiting for people to finally get it together and finally get up, get the gospel out and not shut down the church and not postpone services. But the Bible says that as you see the day approaching, gather all the more. And when Jesus comes back, I don't want to have to fall on my face and apologize and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I should have done more. I want to be able to tell God I did everything I possibly could. That God, what you gave me, I tried to multiply it to the best of my ability. And God, I did everything I could to get people saved and healed and preach about who you are. I don't want to be embarrassed like most people will be. And be ashamed and wish you did more. I want to say I gave it all for you. I did everything I possibly could. And I would do more. Because I love you. You are my life. You are the source of life. You are what make life full. You are my sustainer. You are El Shaddai. Everything good comes from you. You are God. I want to be able to tell God that. I don't want to be embarrassed. And that's what I fear, is that many people will be embarrassed on that day. And they'll be ashamed and ask for forgiveness. But I don't want to be like that servant that brought back his talent that he hid and told the master that he just did what he gave back what he had and didn't produce with it and didn't make fruit from it. I want to be like the servant that multiplied that was given. And because of that, God gave him more and added unto him. Because he reproduced what was given. I want that to be my story. Make that your story. Make that who you are. Miracles matter. This Bible matters. Jesus is alive and he's coming back very, very soon. I want to close today's episode by reading out of 2 Timothy. 
in chapter 3. Because Paul, here in his letter, his second letter to Timothy, prophesies a trait and something that's going to occur in the last days. And it's exactly what's happening now. And I want to read this and teach for a few minutes about it. And then we're going to close in prayer. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. Verse 1, excuse me. 2 Timothy 3, 1. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, having the appearance or the form of godliness, but denying its power. Miracles are the life and power of God. And Paul said, prophesied, that in the last days there will come people that will love pleasure more than they love God, that they'll have a form of godliness. What's that? That's the whitewashed tomb. That's the empty religion. That's the tradition. And doing things because that's how they've always been done the form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Don't deny his power. Don't be ashamed of power. Be like Paul. Be, a, be ashamed of powerlessness. Be ashamed of weakness. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. For it is the power that sets men free, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. For I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the power that sets men free. Don't be ashamed of power. You young ministers that listen to me, that want to go to Bible school, never deny the power and the miracles of God. Never be ashamed to lay hands on the sick. Never be ashamed to believe for a blind eye to come open or a deaf ear to pop open. Never be ashamed that there will be people that will talk down to you and make fun of you and say, oh, you're one of those tongue-talking preachers. You're one of them snake handlers. You're one of those people that believes all this crazy stuff. You're not educated. You're not intelligent. You're just some dumb hillbilly that believes you can see people healed. Let them run their mouth. Let them mock but they will never be able to walk in the power that you and I walk in. I'm not ashamed to speak in tongues. If someone were to ask me about it, I wouldn't deny it. It's the power of God. It's how I build my faith. I'm not ashamed to lay hands on the sick or anoint with oil. People get healed from it. People have testimonies from it. 
I'm not some crazy snake handling country bumpkin preacher. I have intelligence. I have a mind. I can think. And here's what I've come to the conclusion of. That this Bible and Jesus is above all else. Everything else pales in comparison. There's no movie that will come out or video game that come out will come out or anything else that will take God's place in my life. There's nothing like it. Nothing. Search all over. Couldn't find nobody. Searched high and low. Couldn't find anybody. Nobody greater than him. Nobody. Nothing. Don't deny his power today. Walk in miracle power. Walk in the understanding that God is alive, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus rose from the dead, and now his spirit lives and dwells in you and I. It will change your life. Miracles are the life and power of God. It's what separate Christianity from every other religion or dead thing. It's the life and power of God. Produced by faith, which comes from the word, miracles. Changes everything. I love you today. I pray this podcast helped you. I pray you walk in miracles. I pray you're never ashamed of the gospel, which is the power that sets men free. I love you today. God loves you too. And I'll talk to you very, very soon. If you want to partner with me and donate to this ministry and give, I have that set up through my website. If you don't want to give that way, you can direct message me about Cash App or whatever you want to do. You know, I'm not forcing anybody to give anything, but if you feel to partner with this ministry, if I've helped you in any way, and you want to help me take the gospel to my generation, I want to encourage you to go to PrestonShuttlesworth.com and click on the giving tab, which will be uh, through the scroller on the top left of your screen if you're on a phone, and the top right if you're on a desktop or a laptop, and you can give there. I want to thank you ahead of time for your giving if you're going to do that. And uh, also, we have the function set up where you can partner on a monthly basis where, you know, if you want to give $10, $20, $50, $100, whatever your level would be every month, that way you don't have to think about it. It's like a, you know, a subscription, you know. People give 10 bucks to Netflix every month. Why not give 10 bucks to a preacher every month and put your money to good use and sow into good soil? And... Um, I want to encourage you to do that finally, you know, not forcing anybody's hand. But if you feel to do that, you can do that there. I want to give you that option. And uh, let's pray before uh, I sign off today. Father, I thank you for every person that made a decision to listen to this today. I thank you for their hunger and their thirst to know more about you, to know more about miracles, to know more about your nature and your word. I thank you that you will reward their faith. I thank you that today will be the day that marks in their spirit as the day they chose to believe in you like they never have before and walk in the authority and power that you've given them. I thank you that even in this day and age of a dark you know, spirit that's trying to take over in our society and dread and fear and all these things that are trying to affect our minds, I thank you that your power from the faith born out of your word is resident in every single person that I'm speaking to you right now. I thank you that this end of the year will surpass the previous 11 months of the year. I thank you that their best days 
are ahead of them. I thank you that they're going up and never down. I thank you that they're going forward and not backward. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. I love you. I'll talk to you very soon. I hope to be on here next Friday. And uh, I'll talk to you very, very soon. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Preston Shuttlesworth Audio Podcast. To stay connected with Preston and for booking information, make sure to follow him on social media on Instagram and stay tuned for our upcoming ministry website. For more episodes, please subscribe and make sure to come back here every Friday for brand new weekly content.